We uh, have been uh, looking at the witnesses to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. You and I wouldn't know anything about that, except that there were witnesses who chose to testify. And I've uh, asked you all if you've been in a position where you had to give testimony in a court of law uh, over anything, whether you were ever in a position where you had to stand before a judge and perhaps give testimony about yourself. Um, but we have, uh, we have the Word of God, but the Word of God was written by witnesses who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the first week we looked at Peter, and last week we looked at John, and uh, you saw a masterful job of uh, John being presented uh, by Felix here. And uh, the reason why I went ahead and had John's monologue this week is because we wouldn't know anything about the next witness except John gave testimony for him. And that can happen sometimes. Typically, you give your own testimony, but I know that I have been impressed by the lives of others uh, who have lived their life for Christ, and I've been willing to share their testimony, even though it's not my testimony. I'm careful about that. Uh, you know, some people don't want you to do that, but when people are public figures, especially, and you know, they, they're willing to be open about their lives, then I'm certainly willing to share their testimony. Or if I was uh, involved with someone closely, then I'm willing to share their testimony. So uh, you saw that little piece of video there regarding Nicodemus. And uh, the information that we have uh, about Nicodemus is all contained in the Gospel of John. And we meet Nicodemus as he comes to see Jesus at night. Very, very famous passage of scripture that I want to read to you right now. Uh, this is the New American Standard Bible, a little more literal translation, but I'm going to use this today. This is John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? You remember that verse, don't you? Hopefully, uh, some of you have gotten uh, that particular verse memorized. So, each week that we've 
looked at one of these witnesses, I've talked about their calling. And I chose to read this passage, this extended passage, because this would essentially be Nicodemus, Nicodemus's calling. Nicodemus sought Jesus out. However, not for the same reasons that John and Peter and Andrew and those folks sought him out. He wanted to know what Jesus was all about. He was a, a, a smart man. He was a leader and he was seeking to give Jesus a hearing. So uh, if there was a calling on Nicodemus's life, it happened right here as Jesus told him some things that he did not want to hear. See, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and that's the substance behind the video that you observed earlier about the 613 laws. It was calculated uh, back then how many laws there were actually uh, are actually found in the Old Testament. You and I might think, well, there's 10, the Ten Commandments, right? And that's foundational. That was given at Sinai. But as the, the Pharisees, who were very, very intent on keeping the law, combed through the Old Testament, they counted up 613 laws. Well, I don't need to repeat what the, uh, the actor in the video indicated. Uh, that would be an overwhelming thing. But you know, the Pharisees felt like they were up to the task. In fact, not only did the Pharisees seek to keep those 613 laws, they built what they called fences around the law, which were traditions that people were to uphold so that they would make sure that they didn't even get close to breaking the law. Okay, uh, here's a tradition that made it into your Bible. I've mentioned this on a number of occasions in here. Um, the name of God. In Hebrew, there are four letters that represent the name of God, yod He vav He. We think that that is probably properly pronounced Yahweh. But in order to prevent people from using God's name in vain, in accordance with the third commandment, they wouldn't pronounce it at all. In fact, they substituted the word Lord for God's name. So. Yahweh is used over and over and over in the Old Testament, many, many times, hundreds of times. But you're not, except for an occasional translation, you're not going to find it written Yahweh. Uh, there was an older understanding of this, and uh, you even hear songs about this, uh, where God's name is pronounced Jehovah. This is incredibly wrong it misunderstands what was going on in the, the Jewish Bible. You see, what they did is they took the vowels from the Jewish word or Hebrew word Lord, right? And the Hebrew word Lord is Adonai, say Adonai. A-O-I, there's your vowels. Adonai, A-O-I. And they put those vowels over, they vowel pointed these words. They put vowels not in between the letters like we do. They put them over and under and sometimes in between uh, letters. But this was so that they, many, many hundreds of years after people stopped speaking Hebrew, they were speaking Aramaic, that was the common language. But many years after that, they would still be able to pronounce the Hebrew. So the Masoretes put these vowel points in. Every time the Masoretes, this group of people that were preserving the scripture, these very devout Jewish people, every time they encountered God's name, Yod, Yod, He, Vav, He, they put the vowel points for Adonai over that, right? So what happens when you take A, O, E, or A, and put it over 
Yahweh. Yeah-ho-wah. Except the Germans couldn't pronounce a Y, so they made it a J. Je-ho. And they didn't use a W either. They used a V. Va. There it is. Jehovah is not God's name. Stop using it. <laughs> I, I, I understand how devout people are about it. That's not God's name, right? Your best bet is to do what the Jewish people did and still do. Jewish people today won't even spell out the word God. They put a line in there, and this is building a fence around that commandment that says, do not use the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I gave you something that's common and used today, but there were, there were many, many uh, foundries that the Pharisees created, uh, ceremonial washings and uh, certain things that you could not do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for rest and the Sabbath was for worship, but they created many, many, many auxiliary rules about the Sabbath. And I won't go into all of them, but I'll, I'll give you some silly ones. A woman was not to look in the mirror on a Sabbath. Now, why would that be? Because she might be tempted to pull out a, a gray hair and that would be work and thus breaking the Sabbath. They would not eat an egg that was laid by a hen on the Sabbath. Why? The hen worked. This is what the Pharisees were like. If you want to read what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees, read Matthew chapter 23. Pastor Craig's already been through all of that. He didn't have very kind things to say. Now, this wasn't because they were just horrible, terrible people. It's because they were human beings that were trying to work up enough righteousness to presumably please God. But Jesus um, cornered them about the reality that what they were really seeking to do is to get attention from other people. And that's why Jesus said, you're not supposed to do your righteous works out in front of people so that you can be seen by them. So now that you understand what Pharisees were, I want you to realize Nicodemus was one of them. You know who else was a Pharisee? The Apostle Paul. His name was Saul prior to that, and he was persecuting Christians. He was also a Pharisee. Some Pharisees were interested in the coming of Messiah to the degree that they were willing to consider that Jesus could perhaps be this Messiah. And so we have this Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. We don't have his testimony from him, we have his testimony from John. So as we consider his character, his character is bound up in this, uh, this profession as a Pharisee. And I say profession because it was definitely a full-time job to be a Pharisee. Um, but in addition to, uh, to being a Pharisee and understanding his character that way, I want you to consider that he was also a seeker. He was interested in finding out about Jesus. Some of the other Pharisees just made up their mind. As a matter of fact, we have uh, another encounter between Nicodemus and uh, the rest of the, the Pharisees, or unencounter, in John chapter 7. At the end of the chapter, they're talking about Jesus and speaking against Jesus, and Nicodemus says, wait, do we judge a man without hearing him out? And then they turned on him, his own people turned on him, his own uh, sect turned on him, and they said, no prophet comes from Galilee, look it up. They're basically belittling him. I also want you to understand that this was no ordinary Pharisee. It says that he was part of the council. That was the Sanhedrin. This would be kind of like a cross between the Supreme Court and the Senate in our country. Um, and uh, I guess the, 
the, the, uh, the head, the high priest would be a lot like the president in our country. Now we have secular politics, uh, but uh, that was not the case with these folks. Uh, they had a monarchy originally, but God set the, uh, the nation up to be his people and he was gonna be the only monarch. Nonetheless, this is the type of person we're dealing with. We're dealing with a curious Pharisee who's also somewhat of a politician. If he was on the Sanhedrin, then he was well-respected, he was well-thought-of, and he had his reputation to consider. Now, when did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. Well, why would you come to somebody by night? Bearing in mind, this is during a time when you didn't have streetlights burning everywhere, right? Uh, you didn't have all of these uh, devices that light up our, our lives keeping the night as bright as the day. Pretty much at night, it was difficult to see. It was difficult to make out who people were. And so it is very likely that Nicodemus visited Jesus by night under cover of night because he wanted to go privately. He didn't want anybody to know about it. So I think that this says two things. He was concerned about his reputation, but it also said, says that he was curious enough to seek Jesus out for his own purposes. So I think that there's something being said here uh, about Nicodemus's motives and the kind of person that he is. Um, so coming out of that, I'm looking at people in this room and most of you attend church pretty regularly, as much as you can, right? So maybe you don't consider yourself a religious person but if you attend church regularly, you read your Bible. How many of y'all read your Bible? Read your Bible, right? Do you pray? Okay. We don't like the word religion, but you're, you're a religious person. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It doesn't always have to be a bad word, okay? It just depends on where that's aimed. See, the question is, the question that I wanna ask you and the question that Jesus really was drilling into Nicodemus is do you trust your own righteousness? Do you trust your, trust your own morality? Do you trust your own religious expression, upbringing? Or do you trust Jesus? See, there's a big difference between those. We can come out of environments um, where we're not terribly religious. I wasn't raised in a, in a very religious home. But uh, I came to know the Lord Jesus when I was 16 on my own. Won't go into my testimony, although uh, I, I might uh, share a little bit of that again on Easter because it was Easter Sunday when I gave my life to Christ. But I wasn't a terribly religious person. But you know what I've noticed over time as I've attended church, even a church like ours that doesn't strive to be very religious, is that I start getting comfortable with my own faith expression and unwittingly start relying on my own self, my own religiosity, if you will. And that moves me further and further from a very real and vital relationship with Jesus. And I wonder if you're anything like me. I wonder if you're anything like Nicodemus. Are you proud of your religion? There are people today that are proud of their sin. Nicodemus probably didn't think he sinned or wasn't conscious of sinning very much. Um, but Jesus immediately spoke to Nicodemus 
in a way that Nicodemus wasn't expecting. You see, Nicodemus complimented Jesus. So this is a very well-respected man who is recognized as a teacher in Israel. Now, they didn't just throw that, that word rabbi around. They didn't just call anybody rabbi. You know, somebody just decides to be an itinerant teacher and Pharisees will call them teacher. That wasn't the case. In fact, I will say that there were probably not many Pharisees who would be willing to step that far out on a limb and call Jesus rabbi. But this particular Pharisee did. He respected Jesus and he was willing to recognize that it wasn't just what Jesus said, but the works that Jesus did, the miracles that he performed, the healing that he uh, was involved with came from God. So he, sa he said it right here in, in the scripture. Uh, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, who is the we? Is he representing the entire Sanhedrin? No, apparently not. Again, when we look at their response to Jesus in chapter 7, we find out that that's not the case. But there apparently were other Pharisees and perhaps even other members of the council who were willing to recognize that Jesus was a teacher who had come from God. Who was another uh, well-respected person who knew Nicodemus who was also willing to accept that Jesus was a teacher come from God? Joseph of Arimathea. How do we know Joseph of Arimathea? because that was the man that took charge of Jesus' body after the crucifixion. That's a very, very important step, by the way. See, normally, crucified men were just thrown out in a garbage dump and they let the animals eat their bodies. And so, Joseph of Arimathea wanted to prevent Jesus from that indignity, and so he allowed his own new tomb to be used to bury Jesus. But a little known fact, you might not even be aware, do you know who went with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body to the tomb? Nicodemus. In fact, in John chapter 19, it tells us that Nicodemus brought more than 70 pounds of spices, myrrh and aloes, to embalm the body. Now, they didn't have that much time. Uh, Jesus died... Uh, sometime after 3 p.m. on Friday. Friday was leading into the Sabbath. Sundown was coming. As soon as sundown happened, they're not gonna do any sort of work. So they needed to get Jesus quickly into the tomb and just do some preliminaries so that he could be honored. So Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, a very important man, and asked if he could take charge of Jesus' body and Pilate gave him that charge. Nicodemus went with Joseph of Arimathea and they put Jesus in that new tomb. That's how we know that Jesus rose even from those who did not see his physical resurrected body because there was an empty tomb. The women and John who were at the foot of the cross saw where these two um, well-respected men put Jesus' body. And once the Sabbath was over, Saturday, they went back, that is the women went back so they could finish that process of properly embalming the body with the spices that were there. They brought some spices with them as well. And of course, what we know uh, about Easter is that the body wasn't there, Jesus rose. Uh, there are a number of sightings of, of angels who uh, testified to that fact. And then Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene. 
then he appeared to all of the 12 in the uh, upper room. Apparently, sometime between Mary Magdalene and the upper room appearance, he also appeared to uh, Peter by himself. Nonetheless, he appeared to all of these people and that made them witnesses of the resurrection. Um, the question is, there's all of this respect that is being given to Jesus. In fact, uh, Joseph of Arimathea is called a secret disciple of Jesus in John, in John chapter 19. He said that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, you see, once again, he didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. He didn't want to lose the respect of his fellows. So they were not willing to suffer shame for the name of Jesus, are you? It's getting more and more difficult to confess that you believe in the biblical Jesus. Now, people are reinventing Jesus all over the place. That's been happening since the first century. People like Jesus, his name is clean and it's powerful. And so they want to take Jesus' name and they want to label whatever it is that they believe with Jesus' name. And so you find this today. People are deviating from the scripture and seeking to let Jesus be the, the cause celebre for, the de, for their deviation. But Jesus Christ is God's one and only son. There's a, there's a popular figure out right now, conservative uh, figure. In fact, he was a, uh, I think he was a police officer in Phoenix, Arizona, who's in a big debate right now online with all of these people that were originally following him because this guy who's supposedly conservative is saying that Jesus is not the son of God. Okay. I, I, this is why influencers, what does that even mean? What it means is you have a lot of followers on Instagram or you have a lot of followers, a, a lot of viewers on uh, your particular brand of social media. It doesn't mean that you know anything. It doesn't mean that you're right. It doesn't mean that you're educated. It doesn't mean that you're wise. It means you're popular. And people become popular for all sorts of reasons, don't they? People become popular because they look a certain way. I'm reading a novel right now. In fact, I, I accidentally fell asleep too early last night. You guys wouldn't understand that, right? You're all out having a good time on Saturday. I fell asleep pretty early and I woke up and it was like 9.45. I was like, oh, great. This is going to be a lot of fun. So then I went to bed. Yeah, I was awake until 345. That's the last time I remember looking at the clock. I was like, yeah, I'm just wide awake. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. I already prepared my sermon. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm ready to go with it. So I start reading this novel and this novel has this plot in it about a, uh, a young lady whose brother is kidnapped. And it turns out she's a quote unquote influencer because she has 70,000 followers on Instagram. Well, in, the novel, it is a novel, I understand, but it, it presents a case that I think is probably uh, not too far off the mark. In the novel, this young lady is popular because of one particular picture that she took of herself uh, when she was on a trip. Uh, she was doing some sort of a travelogue, I guess, with Instagram, taking pictures of herself in various places and asking people to tell her where she was. But apparently she, uh, this famous picture uh, that she took of herself was it, she was standing in the mist and you couldn't tell whether she was clothed or unclothed. Well, yes, you can be famous by posting uh, indecent pictures of yourself online. That doesn't make you anything. You, you do realize that, right? 
I think, well, we all would like to, you know, have more people, you know, doing this to all of our posts and, you know, slavering. I mean, about the only time that I have people that are interested in anything I have to say is on my birthday. You know, it's like, hey, happy birthday. Okay. You know, Facebook tells everybody it's your birthday and they're like, okay, I'll tell that dork a happy birthday. <laughs> so I feel popular for one day out of the year. That, that's when I take off the... Uh, Several, oh well, long ago I had some young people that I was seeking to shepherd who would post random stuff on my Facebook page. So I took that off, uh, the ability for people to post stuff on my page a long time ago. But I, I turn it on once a year so y'all can say happy birthday to me, right? <laughs> because I'm craving that attention. I need to be popular. I need to be famous. See, the thing is, people achieve these levels of fame but then if their opinions are not well liked by the Illuminati, the people in power, then they get, quote unquote, deplatformed. Right. And, you know, we can argue over uh, whether or not you think that's a good idea. But we do live in a country that still guarantees free speech. And so if your opinions are not acceptable to those who are in power, Facebook, Amazon, uh, YouTube slash Google, then they can just take you off. Right now, Amazon has changed its policy and they are regularly removing conservative books from their platform. Did you know that over 80% of the books that are sold now in this country are sold through Amazon? So Amazon, without any oversight, without anybody being elected, has simply made an executive de decision to remove people whose opinions they do not agree with. Now, I won't go into the kind of filth that they do publish and that they are willing to support. There's horrendous stuff out there, most of which I found out about when I read this article uh, regarding Amazon's policy. And it, they were saying, yeah, and this, well, I can give you two of them. You can still get Mein Kampf. You know what Mein Kampf is? Yeah, Adolf Hitler wrote that. It kind of was the bedrock of uh, the German front of World War II. Um, you can get uh, Karl Marx's work. But there are books by Dr. Seuss that you can't get now. Wait, not only has Amazon made sure that you can't get them, but eBay has combed through their auction site, making sure that nobody can resell these offending books by Dr. Seuss. Listen, maybe they have some offensive stuff. I don't know. I haven't read those books. Apparently they're from his earlier work and this and that and the other thing. But the point is, there are people out there that can tell you that your opinions uh, are not acceptable and they deplatform you. Why am I saying this in the midst of a message about Nicodemus? Because I think that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were afraid of being deplatformed. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. They wanted to be okay with their people. Uh, you know, Nicodemus, I'm sure, didn't want to get kicked off the Sanhedrin. So the question is, the real question is, what do we make of secret disciples? Are they really disciples? Well, if you understand the term disciple to just mean a learner, then sure, they're seeking to learn more about Jesus. But if you're talking about somebody that has chosen to give their life to Jesus, Jesus made it real plain. Unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. 
What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? In fact, Jesus said, if you deny me before other people, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you confess me before other people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So I hope that you're thinking more about yourself than Nicodemus, because this is about whether you and I are living examples of Jesus' followers, whether you and I are willing to be open, whether we're willing to shine our light, or whether we are covert disciples. Are you going to Jesus by night? Are you just going to Jesus when you're in trouble? What does your Instagram look like? Or your Facebook or your TikTok or whatever in the world you do? Does it say anything about Jesus? Do you say anything about Jesus? See, it depends on how many followers you have and what kind of risks you're willing to take. More than that, are you willing to speak the truth even if people don't like it? Now, I'm not saying just be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I'm not saying be mean to people. But I am saying, are you just backing down from your Christian commitment because the world is increasingly turning itself against you? First, they turn their back on you. That's the deplatforming. But if you continue to have a popular following, if you continue to have a hearing, then they turn on you and they seek to shout you down. Are you willing to deal with that? You know, the Christians in the first century were willing to be martyred for their faith. And some of us are not willing to have people say mean comments to us on Instagram because, you know, we took a picture and made a comment or whatever. See, the reality is I don't know. I, I appreciated that piece of video that, that was up there. And at the end of the video, uh, the actor playing Nicodemus said Jesus saved him by love. And I think that's great. But I don't know that Nicodemus actually ended up getting saved. I don't know that he didn't. But I will say this. It seems awfully strange to me that the only time you hear about Nicodemus is before the resurrection. You don't hear anything about him in Acts. It would seem to me that Nicodemus would have uh, the kind of influence. You want to talk about an influencer? A member of the Sanhedrin that becomes a follower of Jesus. That would be an influencer. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee and he was well thought of but I don't know that he was on the Sanhedrin. And I'm telling you what, they came after him everywhere he went, they came after him. We know about the Apostle Paul. He was intelligent, he was a teacher. Jesus calls Nicodemus a teacher of Israel. Nicodemus was very intelligent, he was wise, he was steeped in the scriptures. He could have been an incredible influence and you don't hear anything about him after he helps to bury Jesus. Here's my question. Is Jesus still dead to you? You see, even if you technically believe in the resurrection, if you don't live in light of the resurrected Christ in your life, then Jesus is pretty much still in that tomb. What Easter is about, what these witnesses should be about, is a resurrected Christ whom we call Lord. And by the way, do you know why Jesus is called Lord? You can know from what I said earlier in this message when I talked to you about the fences or boundaries that um, men like the Pharisees built around the law. 
when I said that instead of saying God's name, Yahweh, the, uh, the God-fearing Jewish man or woman would say the word what? Lord. Jesus is Lord meant you believed that he had that oneness with God that later Christians called a Trinitarian God, right? God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. Not three gods, one God. Three persons, three personal expressions. A mystery, certainly, but a reality. So this is what I want to say to any of those who would call themselves influencers and seek to influence people into believing that Jesus is not the Son of God. I don't hate those folks. There, there are folks that are from uh, other religious groups, Jehovah's Witnesses among them, and yes, Mormons, who would not be willing to admit that Jesus is the unique son of the one and only God. Mormons will say that Jesus is the son of God, but they don't believe God is the only God. You do realize that, right? I don't hate Mormons, but you need to understand Mormonism is polytheism. Do you know what polytheism is? It means they believe in many gods. It gets worse. They believe you can become a god. It gets worse. They believe that God, who is God over this planet, was once a human being. No, not God became a human being in Jesus, was once a human being and worked himself into the job. And you too can work yourself into the job. This is why you and I need to be very careful when we're willing to have relationships with people, we can love them, we can have relationships with them. Uh, you know, we can agree with, uh, you know, a common morality or a common footing on certain issues of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I think Mormons should be allowed to ride around on their bicycles and preach their Mormon gospel. But it's not true. Okay? And so if I represent Jesus, I'm representing the Jesus that scripture teaches about, not scripture and another book that was written 1800 years later, i.e. the Book of Mormon, right? Jesus is the one and only son of God. Muslims believe in Jesus. They believe that he was a great prophet. They do not believe he's the son of God. When you say Jesus is Lord, that's what you're saying, or you need to stop saying it. And by the way, that's what saves you. The scripture says, whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't call Jesus rabbi and be saved. Nicodemus called him rabbi. Jesus is more than a good teacher. You can't call Jesus prophet and be saved. You can't deny that Jesus died on the cross. Muslims deny Jesus died on the cross. You can't deny that Jesus rose from the dead. There are a number of denominations that want to quote unquote spiritualize that. Well, Jesus really died. It was just his spirit that lived on. No, Jesus physically, visibly rose from the dead and still occupies a physical, supernatural physical, but physical body today. Amen. You see, Jesus took on the full nature of, of a human being. He had the full nature of God and he took on the full nature of a human being. This is why as difficult as it is, it's as difficult as maintaining the Trinity, we say that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. You say, well, that's 200%. Well, what can I tell you? Those two natures were inextricably connected in Christ and, are you listening, are still 
connected in Christ. Are you listening? Jesus isn't floating up stairs somewhere, floating around in the sky, floating around the stars somewhere, right? Jesus has a physical, supernatural, resurrected body that he is occupying right now. And he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, that resurrected body is what you get when you call Jesus Lord and when you endure to the end. Amen? Amen. So um, hopefully you've taken a little time and you have laid your life down alongside this fellow named Nicodemus. But I will say to you what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You can't get there on your own righteousness. You have to be born again. That word in Greek means to be born from above. Here's three scriptures that back that up. Um, you heard Jesus say it in John 3 earlier, but earlier in John, in John chapter 1, the apostle writes, but to all who did receive him, that's Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You have to be born from God. Listen to what Titus says, Titus 3, 5. Um, he saved us not because of works done by, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's the Apostle Paul to Titus. And then this final one from 1 Peter. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So here's the question. Are you relying on your own righteousness to get into heaven? Have you been born again? What needs to happen is you confess Jesus as Lord and you open yourself up and his spirit comes inside and he gives you a new birth, a new start, a new life.